0: Welcome back to the Space Salvi Institute podcast. I'm Andrew Petaprin talking to Bobby Mixa. Bobby, how are you? Good, Andrew.
1: A lot of snow still in Krakow. Fifty-five oh centimeters is this past week.
0: What wow. is that in real, in real <laughs> measurement? <laughs> what is it? It's it's
1: a yeah. I'm, I I don't Maybe even not. know,
0: but it's a lot. Well, uh, I hope you hope you manage okay and. uh, you know it's it's pretty balmy here in North Texas where you've you've abandoned me, but uh, <laughs> I'm making I'm making do. We're excited today, aren't we, Bobby? Because we are talking to uh, one of the great thinkers, I think, uh, in uh, kind of the Catholic, the Catholic philosophical cultural conversations, all the things that are going on that we're interested in, um, and we're talking to DC Schindler who is professor of metaphysics and anthropology at the pontifical john paul ii institute for studies on marriage and family at the catholic university of america that's a lot of title the two words that i love best about your title david are metaphysics and anthropology which to my mind are kind of the two biggest crisis issues that we are facing in the world today so you you have a, a tall task but uh, welcome david to the podcast
2: Ah, uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to 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 be here on this with you and and to see Bobby again, whom I knew as a student uh,
1: ten years ago, fifteen years ago.
2: Anyway, a while back. Yeah, 10, 10,
1: 10 years ago.
2: About ten years ago.
1: Okay. The time so, flies by really quickly. Yeah. Yes. Well, I remember those classes fondly. Yes. I think I started. What was it? Being as gift was my first class, and that. But, uh, but I, I learned of you much earlier, I've learned about your work earlier, and I was actually su- super excited to be taking a class with you because I, I read this article you wrote on on Plato on money. I thought, oh, right. oh, my gosh, I mean, who who brings Plato with money together? And it was just to me, it was like such a revelation. And I knew I had to come to the Institute because oh. I knew that the communio, you know, um, Communion was pretty much housed there. So and then I met your father before I met you and that was that was quite a I always think back on those times very fondly. yeah uh, thank you thank you
0: Well David, uh, let's jump right into it now um one of the big one of the big issues that is one of the big things that's kind of in the water is this question of liberalism and post liberalism like, where where what it what all of that means and where where it's all going. Now, we know you have a new book that we want to talk to you about a little bit, but we want to maybe first um, back up a little bit because I really enjoyed your book, The Politics of the Real. And uh, I'd love to just ask you a couple of things about that, maybe kind of in generalities, in particular, that first chapter of that book. I've recommended it to a bunch of people where you ask this question, what is liberalism? And let me just read you one line and maybe you can use this as a jumping off point to, to tell us something here. I thought this was really provocative and really got me thinking in a good way. So you you wrote, it is, a, it is a matter of straightforward historical fact that what defines liberalism in its origins is a rejection of Christianity. And there's more, but so that's kind of out of right. context. Right. But tell us more. Yeah, no, that is that is provocative because there,
2: they're, uh, I mean, since from the beginning, there have been efforts to try to reconcile Christianity and liberalism. and in fact um, some some very serious people who have made good arguments, you know you know relatively strong arguments that liberalism embodies it's 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 the uh offspring of Christianity um and that that you wouldn't you know liberalism it's not an accident that it it appeared in in the West because the West was formed by Christianity so it's it's intelligible only. As uh, an offshoot, and I think there's actually a lot of truth to that. <clears throat> but um, offshoot can mean a number of things, and uh, I, I mean, I, I do think it's it it's not an accent that arose in the in the West, but um, uh, and also, and I'll explain this in just a moment. It's it's also true that there are there are a number of, of the basic features of liberalism that. Um, have the roots in Christianity there's no there's no question but it but it seems to me and the point that I was making there in in the book is that um uh, and, and as I say it's a, it's a matter of historical fact this is not difficult to show that um the the thrust of it that the 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 what what accounts for its emergence, what really prompts it in the first place is um, an effort to uh, um rethink, human society, uh, the way of organizing human life in this world somehow outside of the authority of I say Christianity there, but when you think of Christianity in terms of it of of the tradition and the institution and the authority you're talking about the Catholic Church. Um, so so liberalism in a way is an attempt to try to m- make way in the world um, uh, in, a, in a as an alternative to the way that had been given, in and through the catholic church. So in that sense it, it's very much um an anti-catholic um uh anti in the etymological sense it's it's uh anti-catholic um institution. Now uh in doing that obviously in, in you know one's always defined by one's enemies, right? So so I mean that doesn't mean that that um that, that Christianity and liberalism have nothing in common quite the contrary uh one could say that that a great um, deal of the substance of in fact I arguably all of the substance of 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 liberalism owes itself to Christianity um but the problem is it's 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 been stolen you might say it's it is the offspring um, so you know somebody once uh described it as the the offspring of Christianity as, as a kind of a natural child as opposed to a legitimate one um and and uh, you know there's there's that, that's not a bad way to, to look at it, but um uh, it, it seems to me that it's it's uh it borrows from Christian in, in the in the in the way mode of a of a kind of um parasitical uh in a parasitical mode rather than in the in the filial mode um so I mean, which isn't to say that these are that that everything in it is evil, it's to say that. Um, uh, in fact, everything in it, in a certain sense, has its roots in something good, but it's it's taken a a, a kind of a, a perverse form that over time is going to show itself and has, I think, now been showing itself pretty clearly as a, a a force for destruction, disorder. So that's I've I've covered a lot of ground there, but if there was some piece of that you'd like to maybe focus on, I'd be happy to talk well,
0: about maybe. It for- maybe uh, I'll just follow up real quick on just this question of the real. Um, mm. Cause it seems to me, you know, um, you know, you, you make the point in the book, but it's just, you know, it's so obvious to anyone. I mean, there's no such thing as neutrality, right? Like you can't, we, we don't, we're not, we don't live in the theoretical realm. Like there, we, we have to, we have to live in reality. And so, you know, it, it's so we're living in a kind of, you know, uh an alternate reality, I guess, like compared to the the real real. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's I mean that's it's funny. In a way, um, you know, virtual reality uh has existed for for centuries when we're just now discovering that the you know the technology to 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 make it um a, a thing but but in a way that's exactly the point and that 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 would be a, you know a, a certain way to, to look at what what is exactly uh what is reality what is a thing what are real things um and there's so much to to reflect on and unpack there um but but uh, one of the and and this is something actually I I am hoping to um to to work on in the in the not too distant future um to work out some details of this um, a little more systematically. But anyway, um, the the you know things are are um are part of um human existence and human community. We we gather. Heidegger had some great insights about this that that things. Are 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 realities around which we gather and form community. Um, uh, there's there's something about the concreteness of a thing, and especially if you interpret it uh, in the in the classical tradition, um, uh, in light of the, the 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 teaching on the convertibility of the the transcendental's real things. Precisely, insofar as they are real at all, reflect goodness and truth and beauty and. Um, these are essential to human life. We can't exist as human without them, um, and we we cultivate these these things in things. Um, but but uh, when you when you when you step outside of an actual real um, tradition, and it it'll sound like I'm making a leap here. One would have to fill in the spaces. But when you step outside of a tradition, you're actually um, breaking with the you're you're fragmenting um the 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 bonds and the substance of the community in which things have their proper place and and it transforms our relationship with everything. Um, uh, it tends then to become, you know, you know, what's the difference between um a, a a thing that that you've uh you've grown up with and inherited a kind of connection to and a certain um responsibility for and uh, you know, disposable objects that are just simply the you know options presented um, that can be chosen today and disregarded tomorrow. Um, you don't connect to them, even even if the content is very similar. You don't connect to, to them in the same way at all. And and it seems to me that's the, you know that's a uh, that's a subtle point. But I think as we reflect on it, you see that that kind of a the difference that i'm talking about there you see reflected in all sorts of dimensions of of society this is something i th- i think that um that's becoming a dominant experience for for uh, for all of us many of
1: us maybe all of us you talk about like the tradition and the handing on um yeah. and just in my at the moment i was thinking of just the body of you know you inherit you know yeah. uh, basically the, in some ways the familial makeup of your the whole past and then you think of the body being a term that's used for not only like body politic but then the church and the body of Christ and so you know it all of that kind of handing on and then you're, you're mentioning of, of liberalism as being kind of a break in that um and then a remaking but yet totally <laughs> indebted in some sense, too, or and becoming parasitical. Do you, in you're working this out? I think um, in many respects, um, you're connecting a lot of this to like the body of Christ um, and in the Eucharist. Um, how, how does the Eucharist play a role in your? I know that Heidegger, in one of his essays mentions like he almost has like did he talk about a chalice in the question concerning technology and I always wondered did he ever really break off from his his um, his catholic past Um, because and how much is that in some ways latent or in his thought
2: well let me let me um, I'm going to break of your uh, question into two parts and uh, first just a comment about the body very briefly. And then, and then I'll talk about the Eucharist, but uh, uh, you know, the the, the observations I was just making a moment ago about our connection to things that we inherit, we inherit and we're bound to, you know, the body in a way is the paradigm of that. Our our own body. I mean, think about it. It is, it's sort of in and through the body that your most fundamental uh, uh relationships are established, you know, first um uh through your you know mother, the the umbilical cord um that, that connected you to your mother and, and um the relationship between your mother and father was which is a bodily relationship and that the the blood that courses through your 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 veins and and uh you know this is we talk about bloodlines your your family in a way i mean all of these things are connected to your body but it's also you know it's in your body that you stand on the earth and that you live in a particular place and um, that you can connect with other people and communicate the the body is sort of a focal point for all of these things and and think about then the difference if that's the case and we under, recognize our body as a given reality um, into which we're born, you know, with which we're born, and we discover our identity precisely um in 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 this deep connection with the body um uh and, and as a place precisely where we become accessible to others, you know, in the world, that's one con- conception, then another conception where we think of it as something that was assigned to us that was like a imposed on us by birth. And and therefore, um, in principle, even if it's difficult to to make this work, still, technologically, in principle, it's something that can be exchanged. It's a fungible reality, <clears throat> um, uh, and it can be made what we want it to be. I mean that that there's no more profound transformation uh, in our relationship to everything and everyone. It seems to me. Okay, so that's one. About the Eucharist, um you know, it's it's I, I like i'm I'm glad that you made the connection with Heidegger there, too. it's It seems to me, um arguably what he was trying to do was to try to give everything in the world the kind of significance of the Eucharist. you know, he was trying to invest it with this divine presence. And I think there's something really profound to that. I, I don't I wouldn't dismiss it right out of hand. Um, but it's very different if you think of that as substituting for the reality of the Eucharist or as an analogous extension of this reality that remains the central uh pivotal and referential you know re- reference point for everything else um uh, there again you have you you end up with with two very different pictures of 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 reality. Mm-hmm. These are very deep questions. I <laughs> uh,
1: well, no, no, I just, um, I mean, I don't want to go too too far off, but I was, I um, I feel like I'm almost um, walking on. I, I have to be careful of me even mentioning this book, but I've mentioned it before because the book is is bigger than my house. It's Eugene McCreer's book. And at the end, he meant of the book, what's it called? Um, The Enchantments of Mammon. And yeah, I, I like the romantic parts. I realized yeah. as talking to Andrew about this, that man, I'm such a romantic. Those like John Ruskin, all those types, yeah. they're they're my guys, you know. And um, anyways, but he mentions that, you know, um Heaven Kelly, I think from Wired magazine talks about technology as if it's going to have almost like the chip will be this focal point for this new civilization um, that the chip will replace the Eucharist as that reference point. And so he's calling for a kind of return to, in some I think this is near the end of the book where it's like, no, like we've got the we got the focal point. we've we've it's the Eucharist. and yet that will kind of maybe be the grounds for this rebuilding and um, in, in, in a kind of um, in the romantic way that he sees fit. And he, he, he ends with saying, we we need to return to uh, not St. Benedict, maybe, but uh St. Francis of Assisi in in the city. And yeah. so anyways, I was just, um, when you mentioned like body and you mentioned yeah. kind of tradition, like reference points and all that, it just seems to me that we were talking to Carl Anderson, uh, not Carl Anderson, Carl Olson, uh, sorry, actually, Carl Anderson was in Krakow this week, so I'm confusing um, him with Carl, but uh, Carl Olson was talking about how the Eucharist, you know, is just so primary with connecting that to eschatology, with ecclesiology, and then Andrew and I, were about Europe, and it just seems to me Europe, in some ways, is is not to get too, you know, um, um, I don't know, to overdo it too much, but I will go around Poland and it is marked with the, the, the signs of the faith, but it's it's a Eucharistic land. So, yeah, um,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned uh, uh, Gene's book. I um, he and I were colleagues. Did you know that for many years? So, I mean, oh, fact, I should, yeah, he,
1: Villanova. I forgot. About yeah, that. yeah,
2: yeah. He, he also um, uh, was the one who introduced me to uh, John Ruskin, in a class that we we taught together. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, so we've had a number of, of, of conversations uh, when he was still in the early stages uh, of, of his book. Um, the the uh, the idea, I mean, it, it, it really is a provocative image to think of the chip as um, the Eucharist of the future or something like that. But, you know, th- think about I mean, that's that's illuminating in all sorts of ways. You know, what's what what's the same and what's different? and 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 um what does it mean to have something that is that replaces that subs that substitutes for you know I mean and, and heres the, here's the here's the thing that that some people and this you know to tie it back to the liberalism question, you might say, well, look at all these elements in liberalism that are very you know that are Christian. you know it would be similar to saying, look at all these elements in the chip that are so that are similar to, the Eucharist they're just like the Eucharist now that similarity you know I mean it, it's diabolical it's communication, communication yeah it's not or... right right there are all kinds of things that you can point to and those things are true and 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 they're also good but you see it it's 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 profoundly different like what the what the integrating principle is and and um uh uh simply sharing the elements is not sufficient it, there, there has to be a real actual connection um, um uh, with and and that connection is going to tie it to a, a very particular place in time and time in a very particular history as well um uh you know you can't just in an abstract way gather up the elements and 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 bring them together and have something that more or less functions the same I mean if you do you're equating the the point with functionality you see I mean there's there's no way to do it that's actually, um, true uh uh unless unless you reintegrate um to the the, the original the you know the original thing in the original history um so right the, i mean the 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 chip in its in its pure abstraction you know there's nothing we 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 can we can um you had mentioned uh prior to, to the beginning here hegel you know it, uh uh it's interesting one of the things that that um he thought one of the, the, the biggest criticisms criticisms that he made of Catholics was that we contemplate and adore the Eucharist. And for Hegel, the whole point of the Eucharist is to be eaten. <laughs> There's no point in looking at it. Um it's meant to be eaten. And you see, you know, so that that's a profound difference. Um uh uh it's also for us to be eaten, you know, it wouldn't exist if it weren't meant to be eaten, but it has a, it has an extraordinary meaning already in itself and not simply in the function that it serves. Yes. You know, and we can adore the Eucharist, but we couldn't adore a chip. I mean, think about that. Think, think about the, the, the perversity of that. And it's because
0: a chip is pure functionality, you see. Uh-huh. There, uh, David. I'm a former Anglican, and actually, one of the articles of the, the famous Thirty Nine Articles of Religion uh, from the the classic classical book of Common Prayer is I forget the exact wording now, but is the, the 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 Lord's Supper is not to be carried about and gazed upon. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, there's this sort of almost. And it's strange because it's almost a kind of utilitarian view of it's almost yeah. like a kind of caricature of what Catholics think about sacraments, like namely, they're just like grace pills. So you need to just like take them and, and, and let them do their thing. Right. Um, yeah. But but yeah. actually the reality is it it's it's a thing that is powerful in a lot of different ways, I guess. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, and the, and it, right, it's a it's a thing in itself and it's and it's you know, it has its meaning fully in itself and also fully in what it communicates. Mm-hmm. And 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 those are not to be separated, you know. So right. so and the you know, the problem is we 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 um we we've in, we've and th- this is why somebody like Heidegger is actually important, you know, when he wants to try to recover re-enchant things. Um you know, I, I was critical of that as a substitute for the sacraments. Um, But I want to come back to it now, say something positive. It seems to me, unless we have some sense of reality in general, having a symbolic dimension and having a, a kind of a sacred dimension, having something of a, of the presence of God, then we're not going to properly appreciate what a sacrament is. Um you know, so so what what happens in a world in which we have totally instrumentalized all of reality, and then we have these things called sacraments? They suddenly tend uh, tend to be reduced to, you know, as you say, like the the you know grace pill. They become they become themselves, you know, talismans or 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 magic or or um, technologies of sorts. Um, so so that's why you know it's it's a, it's a, it's a, a a complex thing that we need to simultaneously restore our sense of the meaning of the Eucharist and restore our sense of the sac, of the sacramental character of reality and each of those depends in some way on the other but it but you, you know it becomes you, you you start to recognize the enormity of this and this is why um, you know so much of the integralist um, debate, uh, gets at a certain point gets sort of tiresome for me because it becomes uh, so much just a matter of intra ecclesial politics, and and you know it is obviously an ecclesial thing, but it's it's you you can't properly understand the church unless you also rethink the nature of of society and politics and economics. These things these things um, depend on each other. You know, the the absolute uniqueness of the church and the analogical extension of the meaning of the church into the whole of reality.
0: Yeah, real quick. And Bobby, I know you want to get back in here, but I'll just just note that I I just glancing back at your uh, politics of the real book this morning, I, I noticed that you made the point. Uh, that, uh, you know, that there has been a tendency maybe among Catholics who are, you know, broadly in sympathy with each other, but differ on this question of whether we can be liberal or not liberal or something to say, hey, look, you know, let's like sort of we, we agree on the same doctrine, but, you know, the way we organize society, well, that's, that's a little murkier and we can kind of agree to disagree or whatever. And you kind of say, well... You can't really do that. I mean, not not really, because it's all it all impinges. It's like I think about I went to Yale Divinity School and I studied with um, Miroslav Wolf and he used to say, I have mixed feelings about him, but he used to say that, you know, Christian doctrine was like trying to stuff uh too many clothes into a suitcase. And so you're always like trying to, you know, get them all in there and there's always like a like a, a sleeve sticking out or like whatever. Yeah. But it's all it's all gotta fit in there, you know. Yeah. So yeah. anyway. That's that's not a bad image.
2: Yeah yeah and it's and it's not that there's only one way of organizing society possible. You know, it's analogous, but analogous means simultaneously a unity and difference. So you know, infinite possibilities, but they're all going to be infinite possibilities of the same truth.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
2: that's why that's why we you know that's why it's not a matter of indifference uh, what the social order looks like.
1: As you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, uh, Dr. Shin, you've been writing a lot about just the good and, and retrieving kind of, I remember reading a book uh, that you wrote on Plato. Um, and then like more recently, you've been, you know, writing a lot about like Dionysus um, mm-hmm. and his understanding of the good. But as we've been talking about, even you mentioned about like Hegel and that the Eucharist is meant to be consumed, um, mm-hmm. not, you know, uh, gazed upon. But you know, with the both that needs to be there, and you mentioned, and partially some of your you know great admiration of Hegel as like one of the best philosophers who ever lived, um, yeah. but also kind of critiquing his kind of exhaustive uh, account of Christianity, which by exhaustive meaning that there's no mystery at the end of the day; it just basically it all is reduced to you know, um, in some ways. I I don't know if the proper I don't know what the proper Hegelian terms are, but that you just kind of know it all because there's nothing yet to, in some ways, wait upon to be revealed, or there's no fullness and mystery that is yet to be uh, disclosed. So no wonder. And so I was thinking in terms of like the Eucharist, equating the Eucharist with the good, with this kind of more kind of pseudo Dionysian account um maybe actually a proper response to somebody like a Hegel so that the mystery is still maintained with like the mystery the Eucharist Um, that's right
2: no that's that's a that's a a profound point that um I mean that you know this is uh you know for 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 there's so many things that connect up here let me let me just start with this that that um for, for, for Hegel in a way that the uh, to, to the the connection between um, gazing at the Eucharist and the abiding mystery you know if it's, if it's held out before you there's there's it remains other than you you there's a kind of a distance between you and it. For Hegel um, the whole point God revealed himself precisely to eliminate that difference. He wanted to give himself so fully and completely that there was nothing left there was nothing held back. And we want to say, well, that, that, that's true in some sense, but um, it's the very nature of uh, the good and love and uh, proper sense of transcendence that the complete giving of oneself um, does not eliminate the abiding transcendence of the giver. I mean, quite the contrary. Uh, and that's that's why that you know that that distance is never over. I mean, it's both overcome and it remains, <laughs> and 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 that's that's the you know that's the essence of the mystery of, uh, of of love. What what you have in Dionysius is this notion of a kind of a reciprocity. You don't just have goodness um, that it feeds our eros, but the good that gives itself also is eros, and so in a way uh, uh, seeks seeks us it's not just the object of our seeking um and you know that that transforms the the meaning we, you know why is it that that as a catholic we can gaze upon the eucharist i you know it's i hadn't thought of it in these terms um before uh just now but i mean one of the reasons it seems to me is that we have a sense that the eucharist desires us um that that christ present in the eucharist is is desires us it's not just an object of our of our subjectivity as it would be for hegel um uh, and that you know there there you get the infinite mirrors bouncing off each other and it it just goes on to infinity this is why there's never any worry of it running out i used to i used to worry when i was in i to i used to get into panics when i was in college i remember Uh, Thinking, you know what? What you know, having this these experience of eros and the mystery of the world unfolding and realizing that that's all I wanted, Mm -hmm. and then the terror of what happens if it runs dry. Then what am I going to do? Um, And that really concerned me. But I've I've come uh, in my older age to realize there's no there's no danger there.
1: (laughs) The mystery never will never ever run out. Same. I was always afraid of boredom. Like it's like yeah. okay, so you 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 reach you know the the, the eschaton, right? You're heaven and earth have, have met, and yet uh, you're in his glory, and yet then you're just okay. Next, what's next? <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you know. I mean, I does this
2: open up a whole new can of worms that that's uh-huh. one of that's one of the things that I I think uh, um, is the the worry about. Things like technology, because um uh and you know, social media and so forth, I mean, the, the habits that we're all forming with this, it does um we all recognize, right, that that the more we use these things, the, the the um the the uh uh the the chances of our becoming bored grow, that we we become more inclined to boredom and and a need for distraction. Now, the thing is um the concern about technology from to my mind is not in first place um, moral. It's it's much more profoundly the way that it forms our souls. And if Plato is right, so Plato said that the only thing that we bring with us into the afterworld is our education, the one possession is our education. And I mean, what that it seems to me, what that means is, is however your soul is formed in this world, that, that abides. Um, and if we if we have rendered our soul incapable of receiving deeply, um, then our, our experience of eternity is going to be impoverished. And that really is, a, you know, regardless of the question of heaven or hell, just think about it in those terms. You know, there's something really urgently at stake in, in in how we how we uh, form our souls or allow our souls to be formed in this world. Does that make sense what I'm getting at? I didn't put it so well
0: but. yeah is is resurrected me going to be the me that is addicted to social media or something yeah. you know it's it is yeah. a weird thought yeah
2: yeah yeah and I mean obviously there's a physiological dimension to that and we would say, well, your body is transformed. yeah, but I also think there there the habits of the soul are formed. And it may be that we we um, become superficial, and so that we might be, you know, having the beatific vision, but we're going to have it more superficially than we might have otherwise if we had actually formed our souls properly
0: that's well, that's pretty mind-blowing david i have to say that th- this is this is fantastic May, let's let's stay on this theme um I, and maybe I, i'm actually uh,
2: getting nervous as i'm saying no 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 though. no. Thinking, oh my goodness what 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 are the implications of this point but
0: well well let's 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 downshift then just to kind of eschatology writ large because this is a this is an issue that that bobby and i are really interested in in our work in this new endeavor we're doing the space albi institute We you know, maybe maybe to pick up your point, I mean, we think that eschatology is something that is largely ignored, um, and and not only by everyday people, but church-going people, people who really are believing Christians. And, um, you know, Bobby brought up the, the article, uh, we've been talking about Hegel a little bit, but you wrote an article for the um, Evangelization and Culture Journal about Hegel and eschatology, and I... Um, Maybe you could say a little bit more about that because yeah, here here was a big takeaway I had about this was, you know, so we think of so those of our listeners who aren't that into philosophy, bear with us for a minute because I think that this is this is important stuff, right? We're thinking about what's the point of anything in a sense. Yeah. Um, so you know, so there are like, I always thought, okay, there's like right Hegelians and left Hegelians. And they, you know, they all kind of believe like, you know, we're progressing towards something. And so you hear like, you know, left wing hegelian types talk about a certain vision of progress and right wing types a different vision of progress or whatever right. but something that i think you bring out in this article that is really pertinent to all people who call themselves christians is to remember that in a sense hegel's right that we are we are progressing like we're going towards something like mm-hmm. um and so like the whole the kind of like right wing liberal truism about like don't immunitize the eschaton is, you know, it's kind of like partly right if you're reading like a church bulletin and they have the the mission statement on there that says we're building God's kingdom or like whatever. It's kind of like, yeah, no, that's not really what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but but the kingdom has come near. It yeah. has, right? Yeah. And so the, the the eschaton is imminent. Uh yeah. so anyway, I'm just gonna throw it back to you, that that kind of mess of of uh eschatological yeah. stuff.
2: Well, I mean that's the thing. It is it is the case that um that uh, the kingdom of God is not of this world, but we also know that that um, that's not that doesn't exclude the possibility that it is in this world. You mm-hmm. know, and in fact, I mean that's the gospel message, right? To be uh, in the world but not of the world. Um, and so, whatever the Christian transformation is, it 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 actually does concern the way we live in this world uh, and and the way we establish our existence. It's not something simply. Uh, to worry about in the future, and 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 you know there, there um uh, uh there there are many implications to that point, but just one simple part of it is um uh, a recognition that I mean, in fact, as as spiritual creatures, um we we often call it we 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 will often say things like, well, you know, we're just we're finite human beings, we we're temporal. We 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 you know we're confined to a certain s- space and we're, we're we're temporal creatures. You know we're we're not simply temporal. You know to the extent that we're spiritual, we're never simply temporal. Actually, and even our experience of time is the experience of time of a cre of a of a of a soul that is dwelling already in some sense in eternity. And and um, you know there's the the, the, the things that we um, uh, do and think and the are the relationships that we have are already a kind of um, anticipation. They're already a, a kind of participation um, in uh, in the final state. Um, so so eschatological questions bear immediately on us now. That's the that's the the gist of it.
1: Um, yeah, so so yeah. kind of the, the the fullness. I'm sorry, Andrew. Did no, no, no. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, with the fullness. Um, I know there's some, you know, you hear the term eschaton, and you know, the unveiling and this fullness, the absolute, perhaps. As sometimes you hear that thrown around. I know there's a book that was like very much critiqued, but I have to admit, I kind of liked it. David Bentley Hart's latest oh, yeah. book. Um, but the the sense of of just like that. all all things in some ways are are going to find are in some ways, how how do I put this, Um, actually are moving towards their full participation and in the fullness itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just seems to me, you know, Andrew, you mentioned like the Left-Hegelians. I'm I'm thinking just specifically those because like right now I have to teach a bunch of like 20th century history. And I'm like, the students are always asking me, well, well, my gosh, these people are so, you know, on fire for these revolutionary causes. And yet, you know, in Russia, this like ignites, you know, this, this whole, and what gets them going? I mean, this is recent history. And like, even like we're, we're talking about the experiences with the end of the cold war, but like, like where are we now? But yet mm-hmm. what got that all those societies motivated to go towards something? And it just seems to me that, like, you need, this is partially why I'm like, Europe is eschatological because either it's going to have that, I don't want to say just Europe, but, like, you know, like, insofar so far Christendom is, it's going to be moving towards the heavenly Jerusalem. If you don't have that, you know, clearly and well, articulate, well articulated, it's going to come up in so many other ways. And you see that with, like, you know, the appeal of Marx. Um, and then what would motivate somebody like Lenin and Stalin, some ways to do atrocious things um, to, to get to that. But like we, Andrew and I were talking about the movie lies of others. And it, it's interesting that the, um, the, I'm sorry, I'm going around a lot here, but the director Florian, uh, what's the name, Florian von Dommersmark?
0: Florian Hinkel von donnersmark
1: Oh yeah. Well, he yeah. said, he said that the motivation for making that movie was Uh, he heard this line from Lenin that he could no longer listen to Beethoven anymore because it made him soft and he just wanted to caress the heads of the people when he listened to Beethoven because it was so beautiful and yet he so he stopped listening to the music because he had to move on with and you know he had to smash their heads in to complete the revolution and so I had the students I, I, I had the students reflect on this with the cult with the the revolutions as if you know, and in that movie, there's there's a scene in which when they're going and searching his house for the first time, and there's one book that's shown that you see that clearly the title, the author and it's Itzen, And you think, okay. okay, beauty will save the world. And so you think, okay, well, what was capable of changing the heart of that, um, you know, Stasi operator uh, was the beauty of the lives of the others. Um, but yet, in some sense, they all had some, some, you know, right. inkling of what beauty is. Perhaps, maybe it is the, you know, co- ultimately communism. Um, but uh, yet, that wasn't fully it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, that's the the tragedy
2: of all of this is that, you know, we in the in the twenty first century will look, I mean, you know, in astonishment at how passionate people were. And the the uh, in the twentieth century that they were willing to um, uh, uh, gather up the whole of their lives and commit it to, to these causes in a way that um, was so destructive and violent um, and caused such an upheaval and so so the lesson that we take is that um, uh, you know that that passion is um, in error you know the or well what is a sign of a kind of a madness and 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 a profound confusion and ignorance and so forth i mean the the problem is it's it's so much more complicated than that because in a certain sense um you know so 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 we think that 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 there's nothing really worth getting worked up about so you know so our our our, our lesson is then you know just chill <laughs> and and not get so so worked up about things and and the the problem is that, that 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 kind of passion is profoundly human it's human to be that way and and um the tragedy is that that genuinely um true human uh mode was directed to something that was anti-human but but it but it drew on the energies that were meant for True fulfillment and the true eschaton. Um, and and you know the, w- w- what we what we need to do is 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 we need to be able to appreciate the tragedy of this and rather than and say that it's not really worth living for something like that, or we need to get over this idea that history has a meaning um and that there are things that are worth working for, we need to recover a sense of the profound passion for the ultimate meaning of things um but you know but it, once again sort of uh uh in the in the the tradition that we've inherited to to, to, fight, to rediscover this actually in the, the 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 christian tradition rather than a substitute
0: for it yeah and to come back to the technology issue, it does seem like the, the point of technology, in as much as there is one, and I, I think often there isn't, uh, at least not one that's understood by the people who are creating the things that they sell to us, um, is to create this sort of flattened out reality, yeah. is, right? Is to make that's us right. not passionate, right? Is to just give us more things yeah. to kind of sedate us all with a, yeah. with a faux happiness um, that so, is yeah. very <clears throat> anti-human.
2: It is. And I mean, it, there's it's it's so worrisome. I mean, this is this is what it means to be bourgeois in the end. And and, you know, um, that was one of the discoveries, one of the motivating discoveries uh that generated liberalism was this idea that if we could turn the whole world into business partners, um, we'd never have a war again because mm-hmm. um you know, that that uh Everybody would be contentedly bargaining for, for um, mediocre self-interest, and uh, these great passions wouldn't exist anymore. And that was sort of an ideal. And that you know, uh, I think that the problem is that that exceeded way beyond probably what anyone would have hoped for. Um, uh, the the uh, Wendell Berry um, in his he he has this beautiful essay on on um, uh, what's it called, the, the body and the earth. And it's it's interesting. He isn't he doesn't draw attention to what he's doing um in one part of that essay, but he uh but he 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 uses um the passions of joy and grief as sort of reference points. It was kind of interesting for me to think about that. Um uh joy we all obviously desire we all want to be happy um and we think well but i you know i could i i'd be very happy to do without grief grief seems like something that nobody really wants but he was pre- presenting both of these as a kind of an ideal and i realized the more i thought about it they're inseparable from each other and um and they have to do with this deep deep connection to things uh, so much so that you that um if you're incapable of grief you're also going to be incapable of joy and um, I, I think you know another way of describing that flattening that you're you're speaking of is that we are increasingly incapable of joy and grief, um, and uh, and that that's a sign of the fact that we're increasingly detached from the most important things. We're detached.
0: From- yeah, I I just just to. Kind of put a bow on what you're saying The the joy and grief thing is something i thought a lot about from my reading of c.s lewis who i think yeah. really nails yeah. that point i mean they're just they're always flip sides of the same coin and so so interesting to me that he was on a related note somebody who was i think such a prophet about technology uh you know with the abolition of man and with his um his uh ransom trilogy the space trilogy especially the last book that hideous strength um I, you know i yeah anyway just a comment but i i i think about that a lot
2: yeah you know and i worry um about you know this this uh detachment i was just at a um uh, a licentiate thesis defense a few days ago and uh the 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 priest there was um describing this spiritual vision of a of a 20 20th century uh Uh, religious, uh, 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 a woman that's remarkable in all sorts of ways. But he was talking about um, the emphasis she gave to detachment and how important it is to be detached from things and spiritual detachment. And I, you know, and I, I, I stopped and I said, you know, is that right? I, it seems to me have, have, have Christians perhaps colluded in this um, improper detachment from reality by associating with the kind of spiritual perfection i mean um you know if and 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 the example he was giving is is these these nuns had to become detached from their 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 sisters in their community who might be called to to found another community and they need to be able to let them go and i said and i said okay um what's the difference between can you imagine the sisters that were just perfectly happy you know or Equal, entirely indifferent whether they stayed or go or went mm-hmm. versus those that actually suffered their loss but but still won them go and it seems to me obviously we all recognize suffering their departure is a perfection and that's a sign of attachment so it seems to me it's not so much the question of detachment it's a it's it's deepening attachments and expanding them you know, so that you
0: remain attached to them when they're in a different monastery, but you're still yeah.
1: attached.
0: Yeah. yeah, people who are detached are like psychopaths, right? I mean it's that's, it's that's it's right. really that's a strange by right definition. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's, that's right. But I mean, does that mean we have to rethink this whole Christian long Christian tradition about spiritual detachment? Well um what 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 do we make of that? What do you guys make of
1: that? Well, yeah, I mean I was um on Thursdays I I um, have conversations uh, with Carmelites and Dominicans. And mm-hmm. so with the Discalced Carmelites, I was asking them actually a little bit about John of the Cross the other day. And I said, you know, I I've got like a presentation of John of the Cross, which really stressed the nada, you know, you're that kind of yeah. that uh, nada, nada, <laughs> nada, nada. And I'm like, okay, is there something, you know, uh, like uh, I don't know what the opposite of the nada, but like a yes to something. Yeah. And they're like, absolutely, and, it's, and they they actually agreed that the kind of attachment is not actually uh, presented enough. Uh, and John and John of the Cross was definitely attached to many yeah. things, but yeah. you know, kind of kind of on this note though too of like, uh, and Andrew, if you want to share some thoughts here too. But one of the, the, one of the inspirations behind the space Salvi too is. Um, actually, uh, uh, Piggy, And like, we were talking about like attachment, detachment, but the idea of pilgrimage, and you mentioned education, but like when I was thinking about education, I was working for Word on Fire, it was like pilgrimage, 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 and like the allegory of the cave almost is like a pilgrimage. And then, Mm -hmm. but this idea of attaching oneself, like your heart is attached to the ultimate destination. Okay, but yet at the same time you have to detach from, yeah. uh, but yet it's all in some ways being brought with you to mm. the kind of ultimate point, that fullness. And so I just wanted to mention too, uh, Dr. Schindler, that uh, we had to read this at the at the John Paul II Institute, and I have to admit. When I first started reading it, I didn't see the profundity of it, but over the years, it Obviously, just... say what it is for our listeners oh, yeah, yeah. So who are watching. <laughs> sorry, the portal of the mystery of hope. Uh, yeah, the portal of the mystery of hope. And Dr. Schindler, I saw years later, yeah. translated it. And so <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so, but like around the time I, I, after I, I read this, I saw Terrence not to throw too much in here, but I saw Terrence Malick's tree of life and I was like, oh my gosh, there's just so much here with like the concreteness of this, but at the same time, the concrete like lived reality still is in some, has this transcendent dimension to it. And yet yeah. it's not like just some kind of like, okay, away with the concreteness and, you know, also there's no narrative, but everything is, is has this eschatological dimension in that movie. And the same yeah. thing here. Yeah, that's right.
2: That's right. Yeah. And the, and the eschatological, I mean, you you mentioned Piggy. I mean, first of all, it's, you know, it's amazing. I have to say, uh, I think this is like the sixth time Piggy has been referenced in the last week, in totally different contexts. He seems to be coming up all the time now, I'm wondering if we're in a moment of a kind of resurgence, and I really hope that we are because I uh, I think he's one of the most extraordinary um, uh, paradigms of of the of the Catholic spirit that I've ever encountered, really. Um, but you know, you mentioned hope. Hope is obviously eschatologically oriented, but um, as you see in Piggy, so beautifully, there's no leaving behind um that that it it's it's a gathering up. you know, he was profoundly uh in ways that 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 I'm still trying to make sense of. he was profoundly attached to France and to his particular um uh region of France and to his family and to you know the, his grandmother and the work that she did in the in the soil um there, there there's there's something so concrete and um none of those things he doesn't detach from those in order to 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 move towards the future he 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 gathers them up a, as fully and completely as he can to bring them along with him uh, even to the point and i know that i've read this somewhere i've never been able to find it again if either of you know the passage or you ever come across it but um i piggy at some point uh, mentions that the the the, the very Stones of the cathedrals are going to be in the in the eschaton. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, d- does that ring a bell for anyone? I know that I've read that in Piggy. I just need to. I need to read. I, I've I've hunted through, and I I I don't know where it was, but I think it's a, a really important point. Um, and it 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 recalls to us the density and the concreteness and the thingness, the thingliness,
0: yeah. of of Christian life. You mentioned uh, you mentioned um, uh, Wendell Berry earlier, and I, I'm thinking of the the chapter of uh, Jaber Crow, his novel novel Jaber Crow, where Jaber is the he's the janitor at this church, among other things, he's the town barber and stuff. But he he once a week comes in and cleans the church, and he's reflecting on the experience that the people have in this church every week. And he says, like, it's this little town. So they get these, like, rotating, fresh out of Bible college preachers coming through. And they all preach this, like, hellfire and brimstone, anti-world, the world is evil stuff. And he says, the problem with that is nobody believes it. Nobody. Because the same people who sit there and listen to that that harangue every week are the same people who put on their most beautiful dresses once a week, who after church go and make, you know, drink, you know, um, buttermilk and make these beautiful biscuits and fried chicken. And they invite the pastor to come over with them. And and he always comes. He always comes because he likes it, too. You know, it's like we don't we don't hate stuff. We don't. And yeah. so, you know, I I just I love that emphasis that you're placing there on kind of that it will all be redeemed. Um, th- th- this world is not destined for the trash can; it's rede- it's, right. it's it's destined for resurrection. Yeah,
2: yeah. I always think of that. I, I I think it's from Jaber Crow. I think it's from that. No, but he but he tells a story about uh, um, some of the uh, the ne'er do wells drinking in the drinking in the the woods but pouring the big bottle of whiskey, you know, as, as, as it pours it out, you hear good, 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 good. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what it sounds like. There's a kind of an affirmation, even in this, um, uh, you know, um, uh, maybe uh, uh, wouldn't get immediate approval from, uh, from the powers that be. Um, But there's a, there's a sense that we're a celebration of life is, is, is more, um, more basic to us um, than than perhaps the, the the rules that we
0: establish. Yeah, in our convention. Well, yeah, well, in the time that remains, we'd love to hear about your new book, which is which is just out. Would you Would you tell us what it is?
2: Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, uh, it was written a while ago, but it's it's taken it's taken some time for it to come out. It's a small book uh, called. Sorry, hold on one step. Here it is. Um, I think that's showing up backwards, on, but God in the City is the name of the book, uh, an essay in political metaphysics. And it's, there are three short es- essays um, bound together, trying to to, to to offer a succinct argument that um, rather than getting engaged in some of the debates about uh, liberalism and integralism, and those sorts of things, the effort was just to enter into um, fundamental questions about what it what politics you know what is the purpose of political community and um how does god enter into this political sphere what's what's uh in, in as a you know not not in the first place from a theological perspective but but more basically from a philosophical perspective so it's a kind of a um as I say, political metaphysics, uh, thinking through of the nature of human community, um, uh, with a with a view to the theological transformation.
0: Well, that so sounds that the, sounds great. Yeah, yeah I was there at the
1: talk when you right like, you right. It, so so I, I,
2: it was based. It was in, uh, prompted. The writing of it was prompted by um, the uh, uh, talks I gave for the Aquinas lecture at the University of Dallas. Um, or talks uh there was just one one talk um and that's mostly from the the central chapter of of this book but I expanded it on both sides and kind of gave it a context uh for the written version here but um I'm I've I've been anxious for this to come out because I'm I'm really uh hopeful to see what I'm, I'm interested in seeing what what sort of reception the argument gets and and uh to hear some some feedback but um
0: well, so maybe far. we can, uh, yeah, maybe we can have <laughs> you back on once we've we've had a chance to read it and digest it. And uh, I, I do hope uh, anyone listening would uh, pick up a copy of that. For now, uh, we we are just uh, grateful, uh, DC. Schindler for the time that you've been been able to spend with us uh, to our listeners and viewers. If you liked what you have seen and heard here, please do share this podcast with friends, uh, like it give us a good five-star review. And be sure to check out our web- website, spacesalviinstitute.com. Is that right, Bobby? I always get the website. That's right. right. Spacesalviinstitute.com. Right. Sign up for our email list. We've got some great new um, essays on there. The podcasts are coming out regularly. So um, until next time, God bless and live in hope.